Hi everyone, for this episode I wanted to give a content warning. There is mention of suicide, so uh, please take some caution if this is triggering for you and if this episode is not something that you want to listen to. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for being here. This is Ashwini Prasad, your host of the Inclusive Storytelling Podcast. If you're liking these episodes, please leave a review, download, comment if you're on YouTube, and share these episodes. Feel free to connect with me at theinclusivescreenwriter.com or on Twitter and Instagram at The Inclusive Screenwriter. In addition to being an anti-racism and anti-oppression educator, I'm a screenwriter, self-published author, and of course a podcast host. So if I can make our media more inclusive with you, feel free to reach out. All right, let's jump into our episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Inclusive Storytelling Podcast. I am here today with my friend, Nora Jones. And Nora, tell us more about you because you have a fascinating history and I love it because I get to interview a fellow podcaster. It is fun. Thanks, Dashwini. This is terrific to be on your program, on your podcast, and I'm excited to be here. I'm an educator in world languages by background. I've been in the classroom and in educational publishing. About two and a half years ago, I started my own podcast called It's About Language with Nora Jones. And indeed, every time I talk to anyone, I'm like the hammer that thinks everything is a nail. For me, absolutely everything is language and culture. So you'll be hearing about that, I'm sure, as we continue our conversation. But it's again, it's a great pleasure to be on your podcast. I appreciate you being here. I always have my guests do their own intros. And so, as you know, as we were talking before we hit record here, we were talking about people who deserve like a movie or a mini series made about them. And what really is interesting for me about the person you chose, and we talked about this and why I love it, is talking about people that are just human beings and humble beginnings and lived a, a, still a fantastic life. So tell us who we're going to be talking about that deserves a movie or a miniseries made about them today. Well, I appreciate your going along with the whole idea that it could be a movie or a miniseries because <laughs> the person that I've selected is my father. And for any number of reasons, certainly I find his story to be compelling both personally and also culturally. And the philosophy of indeed everyday people are walking around doing amazing things that they don't think about as being amazing, being as we were talking about resilient, being creative, being, being heroic. Uh, there's a lot of unmade movies and a lot of unmade miniseries around us every single day. And part of what my podcast is about is to be able to hear some of those stories. So it certainly resonated with me to offer that to you. And I'm glad you accepted that as a possibility. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm I'm interested in learning more about your father. And like you said, those everyday stories. And I think that when we can talk about these everyday stories, it's that connection, right? That it's, it is that person that could be next door, or it doesn't have to be these big feats, but these little things make up for a fabulous story. And we can really relate to this story, not because it's like, it's great if it's fantastic, but the little things can add up. And that relation leads to a really fantastic uh, story. 
sorry. So I feel like I know why you're connected to this person <laughs> with being your father. But I'm curious, you know, I would love to know chronologically, what are some of the interesting parts of your father's life that you would love for other people to know about? Um, and again, being able to find those moments of relation with this fellow human being. I think that anyone watching a movie of my father's life would love to see as as film often begins with a history that that flashback <laughs> into the childhood and in the case of my father who I'll go ahead and his name is Yubo Lulich and the Yubo is spelled L J U B O and already people have trouble with that, which also can kind of set up some of the storyline that comes. So there's this little guy named Yubo who is growing up in the Daenerik Alps, that is to say the mountains that are on the edge of the Adriatic Sea in what is now the country of Croatia, but during the time of his childhood was Yugoslavia. And it's the wrong side of the of the mountain in this case tracks I could say and maybe other cultural settings but it would be an interesting picture of him kicking a ball made of walled up socks that are wrapped around a rock in order to play soccer of um, the playground being the mountains and rocks where it's dangerous of jumping off of tall rocks to end up in the Adriatic Sea, but the sun's setting soon on that particular side of the mountain. A fishing village by background, uh, a Scrabble kind of place. And then the father, here comes the father, whose day job, if you will, is a cobbler, making shoes and forms for shoes for the folks that live in this fishing village. And on his time and on his weekends and in his heart, he establishes the first library in this village. He believed strongly in what he had to call socialism, but he believed to be communism. He wanted the folks that were suffering to uh, engage their suffering and rise above it. He despised the kind of occupation of other ethnic groups in the area, and especially as my father was born in 1925, as the world grew more and more uh, engaged in the Depression and then towards World War II, the sense of oppression and about the rights of workers, the, the, the dignity of the individual, his father is more and more committed, more and more engaged, more and more enraged from what I can guess because uh, the momentous then moment in the movie comes when one day his mother uh, looking to try to find her husband uh, uh, had left the three children at home to see where he had gone and found that he had hung himself from uh, an olive tree. Oh, wow. So I have, have a very powerful, I believe, series of images that happened there with this cataclysmic end. 
And I say cataclysmic not only of, because of the nature of suicide and the impact on the family, but because of the timing. Uh, it meant that my grandmother was bereft. There was no more income. It meant that as the uh, Nazis came closer and closer to the area in which they lived, that she had a big choice to make. So uh, his sister was significantly older than he was. He was 15, his brother was significantly younger. So his mother decided that she was going to, very scriptural sounding here, flee into Egypt with her young child. And she sent my father to take a boat to Genoa with a couple of papers with him that identified himself as who he was so that he could take a boat to New York, to the United wow. States, where wow. his uncle, his father's brother, mm -hmm. had gone as an immigrant and established a restaurant in Biloxi, Mississippi. So he came by train, got my dad, took him to Biloxi, Mississippi, and there, therein starts the next chapter. But that opener is part of, I think, the whole nature of why I recommended my father in general, because mm -hmm. the trauma that people experience, what family relationships, what decisions people have, the impact on complete families, and where that then takes, in this case, my father next with his identity and yeah. what it did to him and who he was going to next become mm -hmm. all starts from that mixture, which seemed until the moment of at least of war and suicide, fairly benign, if rough. And I'm just seeing all these parallels of what's happening in Ukraine. Like there was that story of the mother who put the information on, uh, I think it was a son uh, on the back, right? The baby, to the yeah. identification and uh, a small, I mean, we couldn't even imagine a small child having to do this by themselves. It, it's mm -hmm. just unbelievable. And like you're saying, right? Not even um, what we consider adult. And for me, even 18 is, is super young at this point in my life. When I was 18, it was like, no, I know everything. But now, right, so many yes. years removed, 18 is so young. And so being younger than that and the choices that your grandmother had to make is 100% spot on. And I also want my our listeners to know that um, I think we have not truly seen socialism and communism in the way that uh, it is truly defined by the scholars that said it. So we have these, I, I'm going to make a broad generalization and say there's a very negative connotation, especially in North America, to these words. But in essence, I'm, and I'm going to simplify it, right, is that socialism is this idea of that uh, sort of equitable um, range, not, not everything is controlled by individuals and communism takes it to the next step where there's no private property and everybody contributes to what they can give. Uh, very simple, very benign example of these two items, because you mentioned it, I want to make sure, from my understanding, be able to define these terms, because at the end of the day, I do think we've seen perversions of yes. socialism and con communism, unfortunately, in society, not the way the scholars uh, originally intended these terms. So I love when I talk about these uh, folks, because like you're doing right now, the movie writes itself. 
So, <laughs> <laughs> right? We're about 30 minutes in already. <laughs> like, That's I'm right. Already, I'm already seeing this. And so you mentioned identity. So here we are, this child, literally a child, right? Is a, a horrible choice that your grandmother probably had to make. Yes. Who can I take? Who needs me the most? And what can I do to take care of uh, the youngest? So what happened? And we know now what happened with your dad and by himself going from modern day Croatia. Like I'm doing the map in my head. We're going through a huge landmass and probably by ship. Would that be right? To yes. cross an ocean. That's to go right. to New York City, USA. What about the older sibling? Do you know what happened to your father's older sibling? Well, yes, absolutely. As it turns out, uh, but I see, I did not know about my grandfather's suicide until I was in my 20s and right. uh, was a major in history uh, because of some of the things that I had absorbed, I think, right through my genetics about the nature of uh, modern European history. Uh, what I found then too was that my aunt had uh, actually had a German boyfriend <clears throat> because, mm -hmm. you know, when wars unfold, people have relationships uh, that, that are of all types and sometimes they cast them away and sometimes they keep them. So a little uh, side character vision would be then his older sister having fallen in love with the German boy and going off and leaving the family and try to sort of finding her way to a safe place. She ended up in Sofia, Bulgaria, and was just one of the most delightful, crazy uh, women I ever met. I was just so delighted that to find out that this wonderful, amazing woman was my aunt. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, that was her choice at that time. And, you know, uh, you, again, you're always bringing up these memories. I love it. I, you know, we have, and I grew up with these stories about uh, the Nazi sympathizers and the women and the women after the quote unquote liberation of these different cities and especially both in both world wars, at least in the, uh, in the 20th century, the women were treated very, very badly. The ones that had the German uh, boyfriends or relationships, they were treated horribly. They were yeah. tarred. They're, um, they, they, sometimes they were stripped naked and they were heads were shaved and they were thrown out onto the streets with no resources because of really relationships for survival. And they were begging on the side of the streets. And, you know, some shows uh, show that. But I, I'm trying to, like, get this rewritten of history of these women were not the sympathizers in that way. Like, maybe, right? Maybe they were genuine love relationships. Maybe it was survival. But we have to look at the full picture. But what's horrible is that these women got the brunt end of horrible, horrible treatment once uh, the world wars uh, ended. And we don't talk about that as much as we should. And so that's what came up when you were telling me about this story. And I was curious about what happened to your uh, older aunt. And it's interesting when there's so many of the things that you just brought up where the sense of, again, women are indeed often on the short end of the stick when it comes to the results of survival requirements. That has been true for millennia and it is a devastation each time it happens. It doesn't get any better through the generations. One of the things that I think would be a fun part of this movie, if I may say, yeah. is the sense of 
of strong-willed nature of the women in the family. When I did, began to discover things that were a little bit hidden. Now, part of it is the hidden story, for example, about how my aunt in this case was resilient about her relationship and then making her own way and not marrying that German guy, by the way, and then finding her way and surviving and ending up in Bulgaria and the whole bit. But one of the aspects too is when in a traditional culture, as was certainly true in the Croatia and Dalmatia of my grandmother's experience, when a woman lost her husband, and in particular mm -hmm. would be something like suicide, where it was a complete now rejection of the family, suicides were not allowed burial, they were not allowed any kind oh, wow. of positive, I mean, that was against the religious uh, understanding of what people did. So there was not just the loss through death, but there was also the loss of the uh, village support, uh, both for my dad. Um, and I'll mm -hmm. tell you a story. Let's remember this. I'll tell you a story about his personal history that he wrote that is related to the way that oral storytelling has happened through the ages. So we need to tap on that, in my opinion. But for the moment, to finish up with my grandmother, my grandmother, I only knew my Baba Frane as a person that had these simple floral little house dress things. I think she owned two. Mm -hmm. And so they're little white things with little flowers on them. <laughs> sure, right, I never, right. I never, I never thought about it. But yeah. it was a critical moment, Ashwini, because she was supposed to be wearing black for the rest of her days. Mm -hmm. All of her friends, all of her village women mates, my aunt on the other side, uh, who was still living in the village, black, black, everything yep. was black, not yep. my grandmother. I never thought about it because I didn't have the cultural background. Mm -hmm. But when the story was told to me later, as I understood her better, the realization she was standing up against the norms of her of her society. She was right. like, I am not mourning the rest of my life. I've got right. other things to do. And so I'd love for a chapter of this movie to be about her. <laughs> you know, and it's great, you know, as, as creatives and storytellers, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to go down this path. I thought we we're going to just talk about my dad, but hold on. There is a whole other, like you said, the family story. Yes, and, yes. and you're spot on with that. Uh, your, your grandmother sounds fascinating, as does your aunt. Um, absolutely. And it, it's it, everything that you're saying is just, you know, it's, we see that over and over again. And I think it's important to have have these different perspectives and that is fascinating and it's sad you know she did like you said you lose your community over somebody else's decision and mm -hmm. my mind's also wrapping over shouldn't your uh, grandfather been happy he was creating a library he was trying to expand and then boom right this yes. he makes this decision and who knows what was happening in his head but it also lets us know and some we hear this oh he seems so happy i had no idea and right how much I know do we hear that how much do we hear that indeed how much and and, and, and yeah when you reflect i mean he was actually yeah. contributing to the village in a very powerful way now did he feel uh, imminently threatened by right. i'm quite confident he did however the decision as you say what is it that made the decision that despite all of the 
bravery that he showed, all of the creativity that he showed, that he made would have made that decision. And of course, from a storytelling point of view, when you are looking then at what happens to the to the philosophy, the presump the the assumptions of then the son in this mm -hmm. case, because mm -hmm. through my father's life his grappling with his his own father's actions and the impact emotionally societally monetarily everything on him obviously that as he grappled with nevertheless being the son of this father who had things that he also brought that would make people proud what then role of suicide played in yeah. his life because Absolutely. suicide then if you're trying to make sure that your, fa your, your father's story is redeemed, then the nature of suicide changes from ruined me to a statement potentially here mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from the point of view of telling my dad's story, a statement of, of almost honor. Right. Uh, so right. it's, yeah. it's quite complex and takes maybe a mini series is better in this <laughs> you're like let me think this through <laughs> well i mean you already have these fabulous characters nora right we, we talked about your dad now we have your aunt and we have your grandmother right mm -hmm. i mean and then we have your grandfather i mean these are four main characters right yeah. in there uh that with these fascinating histories so i, I mean uh, talking about your grandparents and your and your aunt is a another podcast episode <laughs> and it's fascinating but i want you to intertwine them as we continue talking mm -hmm. so your dad leaves by himself uh, because mom has to make a choice right right a, a horrible horrible choice and ends up coming to new york city to live with was it a maternal uncle or paternal uncle paternal uncle no no okay. maternal maternal excuse me maternal, okay maternal. you're yeah. so your grandmother's brother my grandmother's brother right okay what happens when well, your dad lands in new york city yeah, well, i'm hooked nora yeah. i'm hooked <laughs> <laughs> great we're gonna sell tickets like crazy uh, the the what i think is fascinating is it starts right away when he arrives there are so many stories uh, at in Ellis Island itself and other ports of call, be it literal ports or those that are over land, of <clears throat> folks that are receiving uh, immigrants and refugees. And well, we know there's exigencies all the time in people's lives when they're busy and they're trying to process things and there's a lot of pressure and then there's societal background. What's your name? Mm, right. Yubo Mulich. Right. Right. Yubo right. isn't a name. What's your grandfather? What's your father's name? Mm -hmm. Ante. Oh, then we'll call you Anthony. Oh, wow. Upon arrival, he was renamed because Yubo was no real name. His first social security card, which he got some years later, uh, his, I, which I have, thank goodness, I thought maybe he had gotten rid of it, uh, is uh, Anthony Lulich. Wow. And he changed it back because he's like, my name isn't Anthony. My mm -hmm. name is Yubo. 
he reclaimed his identity as he made his way. So what his uncle did was come to pick him up. They went to Biloxi. His uncle had a restaurant, as I believe I said at the opener. There are many, there were many uh, Croatian oyster fishermen in the Gulf and in Biloxi in particular. And he opened what was deemed a French restaurant. I, that always makes me grin. Yeah, right. <laughs> the uh, closest proximity you can have to a culture to make it sell. Yeah, I, yeah. I totally get what your, uh, what your, what would be your, uh, your uncle did. I, uh, your great uncle did. I get it. Yeah, in Mississippi. Fun, isn't it? Isn't yeah, it cool? I get it. I get yeah. it. So my father was, was plopped there and my uncle and aunt, his uncle and aunt, excuse me, his uncle and aunt said, well, you need to learn English and we don't let, we will not let you talk any more Croatian. You must learn English. You must learn it rapidly. I mean, I have to say based on my own podcast and my own guests that he could have kept on speaking Croatian and learned English simultaneously. But uh, as my dad said, and I do quote him on this one, it wasn't in to be ethnic. Okay. Wow. But there was also a lack of knowledge of how language works. Okay. I'm off that soapbox back to my dad. The fact <laughs> is that they put, they put him in a, a Catholic school and they made sure that he spoke English all of the time. Uh, typical of being a family member, a child specifically, I had no idea how smart my dad must have been because next thing you know, he was going to LSU and he decided it wasn't challenging enough. And he went to Berkeley and he got a degree there and he joined the Navy because he wanted to go fight against the Nazis, but they wouldn't let him go into the theaters. So he went to the medical corps and one of his fondest memories was being in the Met the, the hospital in Maryland when Roosevelt came to visit President Roosevelt. So he made his way uh, in a way that if, if I were putting it into a film, it almost seems not effortless, but like what happens when a smart person puts their mind to learning the language and culture and making it their own. Mm -hmm. And then he went into uh, work for the Department of Agriculture, Department of Interior. He worked for the federal government. We lived in California and, and, in, and in Virginia. He married a New Jersey girl with a German background uh, who uh, just fell head over heels in love with him. And I can see why uh, he was pretty cool. And so was my mom. But uh, the fact is that there was a sense of just drinking deep, taking in everything. And uh, he learned how to cook really well. And so the moment he retired, he became the full-time cook because my mom, for her opening a can of beans and a pack of hot dogs was about <laughs> as much as she wanted to handle. That so, was dinner, right? Yeah, that was dinner. <laughs> so he had a tremendous amount of success, but he's always his philosophy, which he brought up in, in my life. We never lived in the kind of house that federal employees tended to buy in the North, Northern Virginia area. We never did the kinds of things that many government families tended to do. We didn't live in the neighborhoods they tended to live in. He wanted us to eat well, and he wanted us to travel. 
And it was when I was in the oldest upper elementary, beginning of middle school age, that we were planning a vacation. And I said, when are we going to get a chance for me to see my grandma in Dalmatia? And that was it. That from then on, that's exactly what we did. And interestingly enough, and probably, I actually have never said this out loud. So let me see what it sounds like when I say it. Probably because he was 15 and made his way across an ocean without knowing the language and found his way all the way to Biloxi freaking Mississippi. Mm-hmm. That when I was that age, he handed me a couple thousand bucks and my mom, who was more, more passive than my dad, and he said, go have a good trip in Europe and I'll meet you in the village on July, whatever. Wow. And I bought URL passes and I had no idea where we're going. We just got on a plane, we landed. And from there on, even in languages that I didn't know, I got us rooms. We went to see everything. We spent two months traveling. We then spent six weeks with my family in Croatia. And then I would come back and go to school in the fall. So how boring was school after that? Oh yeah. That's interesting. That's another conversation, right? Well, it it got at least it got me in where I was able to take several languages at the same time. I but my school system allowed for that uh, for me, which I've always remained grateful for, both Mm -hmm. in high school and colleges. Mm So wow. it was great. It was great. And so this would have been 15, 16 is when your dad handed the money and that ticket to you? That's right. And my mom, like I said, wow. I made wow. her say in whatever country we were in, I made her practice the phrase beer, please. <laughs> if she nice. wanted one. Because she nice. didn't like she didn't like learning languages. So I just, yeah. I just loved it. But yeah. it, it was it was typical of my father to entrust life would take care uh, and trust me as his daughter, whom he kind of brought up like a son, even though he was excited about having a daughter and didn't really want a son, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got all of that kind of training that I think boys tend to get as far as that sense of freedom. Yeah. That made a huge difference in my life with what I've done and how I've traveled and worked. So his experiences, his relationships, his overcomings, his identities, his knowledge of how people can succeed and overcome, he just poured it right into me and handed me the money and said, enjoy and we'll talk about what you experienced when we see each other wow. in the village. Wow. And I think, you know, the thought that comes up is the different ways your dad could have handled having his own family but he chose this path, which is very freeing for uh, you as his child. So that is, that's fascinating. My one question is, so your dad ends up in Biloxi, but he ends up marrying uh, a woman from New Jersey and settles in Northern Virginia. Tell us briefly how that happened. That, yeah. That's like, I'm like doing the South, Southeast and Northeast sweep right now <laughs> in terms of your dad and your parents. That's great. Well, that's a really neat. Well, again, he went to Berkeley and he recognized there was a naval postgraduate school there. And, and he was always extremely 
vocal about the power of the GI Bill, which mm. allowed him to have an education uh, and be able to afford an education. And when he was at the Naval Postgraduate School, among the things that he discovered was an opportunity then to work in Washington, D.C. So he moved then, once he found the job that he could have in Washington, D.C., based on his library science degree later, that he met my mom in the mutual boarding house, because in those days, boarding houses where people had their meals and lived in an almost an apartment-like way, but less expensive because they were sharing all facilities. Right. And uh, that's where my mother had come because her brother, there's another movie coming up. My, my, <laughs> my uncle on my mother's side was actually a cryptologist for the CIA, but we weren't allowed to know that mm, until later. <laughs> until later. Wow. Uh, the, the number of the people that he met, I'm, one of my cousins shows me pictures and my uncle met with presidents and prime ministers all over the world as part of his uh, CIA work. He, anyway, he said to my mother, his sister, who was significantly younger than he was, why don't you come to Washington DC and try out for um, the, you know, the service. And uh, she took the test and passed it and became also a person that worked uh, in more women-like experience at that particular point in the CIA and lived in that boarding house. So that's how they met. You have many, many uh, movies or mini series in, in your life. I really appreciate you sharing all this. This is fascinating. And I mean, like we're already 30 minutes in. And so this is another like hour digging into each one. But I agree with you. One thing I just want to note, right, that GI Bill, that there's a story in just there of the opportunities your dad got but others, black service folks, did not benefit uh, from the GI. That's a whole like that's a whole story right there as well. So I appreciate you sharing that, and I totally agree with you that your entire family, your grandparents and your aunts and uncles, and uh, and everybody in between that came up. Those that's it's fascinating, and I appreciate you sharing this. And for those folks that uh, are on audio only, you're not able to see that Nora's background is a lot of books. So if I may say, Nora, your grandfather father his legacy is is with you definitely thank you thank you that honors my grandfather's memory because uh, indeed reconciling and re reconnecting generationally for forgiveness for understanding and for absorbing that which has been such a strength of the family history thank you for for noting that i appreciate it tremendously yeah, no, no problem. Nora, you just gave us a wonderful movie. Uh, or I would say, I think this could definitely be four to five episodes of a mini series as well. Easily. So, <laughs> so, I, so I probably shouldn't mention then, in addition, that uh -oh. my grandfather on my mother's side was the one that jumped over the wall at the, uh, at the religious education center in Germany and then caught a ship and fled to, to the USA because he just wanted to do his own thing. I probably should have done that. <laughs> oh, I love it. I'm glad you brought it up. And you have a fascinating, fascinating family history. Nora, you know, with all of these, I feel like, you know, it takes 30 minutes just to get warmed up and we're like, okay. <laughs> but <laughs> it's about planning these ideas and sharing these stories and um, this immigration story of 
gosh, you know, everything, uh, it's got everything. It's got the heartbreak. It's got the triumphs. It's got the uh, legacy. It's, it's just absolutely fascinating. And it's also, I'm fascinated, right, with your um, maiden name is that uh, we got the Biggs, the Kennedys and the Roosevelt's, but your maiden name is also very important when we think about this legacy and what's built into the United States and the ways that we could recognize this and ways of building equity uh, with the recognition of what's happened with settlers and also honoring uh, the folks that have been here first and what that looks like in regards to, like you were saying, that that recognition, that humanity and what it, what that means for all of us. And it's a big, broad I, statement. <laughs> it, it is. It is. But, you know, I, I truly believe, Ashwini, per the idea of the inclusivity, the human experience, there are movies in every single person's life. They may not have stepped back to think about what kind of strength, what kind of suffering, what kind of overcoming that is in their family tree, whether it's well-known and strongly back or very short. My father didn't know who his grandfather or great-grandfather was. And I know that there are many of those in the United States who were brought forcibly to the United States or who various traumas of entry also don't necessarily know their heritage, even going back to themselves. Where is it that they feel called? There's a history in their heritage there, whether they can name the people or not. And there are movies in there, every single one, I'm convinced. Uh, I am one of those people, Nora. So I used to joke that my family tree was a bush because my parents did not know their grandparents. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I don't know much, uh, unfortunately, but I can, I'm slowly starting to dig, uh, dig into my ancestry as well. And like you said, there's so much meaning there and you're right. There's huge, huge stories uh, of that. And, and it's important. We should be definitely telling these stories and, uh, and the normal quote unquote person that you're walking on the street, you don't know who, who their ancestor was. That's for sure. Nora, I appreciate you being here. This was a phenomenal conversation as always with you. So how can our listeners find out more about you and also your podcast? Well, thank you so much, Ashwini. Yes, my podcast can be found on basically anywhere that you can listen to podcasts. Uh, It's called It's About Language with Nora Jones. Uh, The website that that people can come to to both listen to the podcast, to see transcripts, because sometimes people can't hear well, and we're going to include folks that don't necessarily have an auditory strength. It is also on my website, fluency.consulting. I also provide biographies of all the folks that I talk to. In, and I also am out and about in the world interviewing people on the street, as it were, getting their quick stories and their joys about language and culture, which is my focus, the nature and the miracle of humanity, language and culture. So fluency.consulting for the website. It's about language for the podcast. And I also do workshops and presentations. So if anyone is interested in the kinds of work that they've heard today or that they see on that website or on one of the podcasts, I look forward to them contacting me. 
they can get that through my website too. Nora, thank you for joining me today. Appreciate you so much. Thank you, Ashwini. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks again for being here. And again, if you're liking these episodes, feel free to leave a review, download, comment, and share. And always remember, if I can support you in making our media more inclusive, feel free to reach out. I'm a screenwriter, podcast host, and an author. And I'm at theinclusivescreenwriter.com or the Inclusive Screenwriter on Twitter and Instagram. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.